you uh, want to turn in your pew Bible, or if you have your Bible with you, to Colossians chapter 3, should be page 984 on the pew Bibles. You know, just reflecting on that song is, it's amazing when a song really captures the essence of a passage. And the passage that we're going to be going through this week, uh, just some of the, the elements of that song of take and fashion us in your likeness. Right? That that's what God is doing as the word dwells deeply in us. And that the church is built. Right? Speak, O Lord, to the church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Which is the ultimate goal and aim of why God works through the spirit and through the word that he's given us. And all of this is conveyed to us through a song. And the connection between... The truth of the message as presented in song, which is all captured in the passage this week. So that was just really great to just be able to sing that with you. Let's go ahead and pray as we get going. Father, thank you for how you provide for us. And you truly have given us your word as a guide, but also containing the message of Christ and by which we may come to a knowledge of salvation or saving knowledge of faith in Christ. So, Lord, help us to receive your word joyfully, not just this morning, but every morning. May it shape who we are and change us by the work of your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. When a young couple who we know are getting married, oftentimes Aaron and I will uh, purchase a hymnal and we'll write a note in the front cover of the hymnal and we'll often copy the text of Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. And we do that for a very specific reason. It's, it's a prayer of blessing over them that their marriage, that their home would reflect the, the hospitality, the Christ-centered spirit that you find wherever you find Christ's church. And this section, after all, does point toward the union with Christ that we've been talking about for the last several sermons in Colossians, expressed in our lives and in the context of community. In today's text, we'll see that that's reflected in our focus upon God's word applied to our lives. And so the church, both gathered and scattered, is an outpost of Christ's kingdom here on earth. And we carry the message of Christ, and it is to be deeply embedded in who we are as Christians and reflected in our fellowship together. So let's read. I'm going to start in verse 12, but we're going to be focusing on the last few verses this week. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I usually try to stay away from talking about grammar in a sermon. And usually I'll just try to speak to the meaning brought out by the grammar in what I say in the sermon, but not necessarily talk about the grammatical elements there. But with this passage, I think it's worth bringing the grammar out in front for a moment. So we're going to do that opening this morning. And first I should note that chapter 3 is full of imperatives from top to bottom. It tells us what we should do. And sometimes when people hear a sermon, they come to the sermon and say, just tell me what to do. Well, Colossians chapter 3 is well suited for that. It's full of these imperative statements that are straightforward and very practical. And Paul is admonishing them to do something, to live a certain way in light of the new life that they have in Christ. And here at the end of the chapter, we see three admonitions in quick succession, one after the other. And each of them are followed by this charge to be thankful. So there's a pattern in each of these verses, 15, 16, and 17. There's an imperative statement first. And then there's some supporting phrases. And then there is this charge to be thankful. So in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. There's the imperative. And be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And now there's these supporting phrases, teaching and admonishing. So those are verbs, but they're verbs that are actually helping verbs. They're pointing back to dwell. So what dwells? The word of Christ dwells in you richly. And how does it dwell in you richly? Well, teaching and admonishing in all wisdom is one way. And then singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is another way. So both teaching and admonishing and singing are pointing back to the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Okay. And then again in verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's thankfulness again. So Paul's being repetitive here. He's building. There's a crescendo here. And he's, he's looking at it from different angles, different ways in which we have a Christ centered life as the word dwells, but also as the peace of Christ rules us. And in fact, it's whatever we do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So a community centered upon Christ will live under the peace of Christ, will be shaped by the word of Christ that affects our creed, our agenda, and our devotion. And then the command is generalized to include all of life, both in word and deed. So where's the connection between these three admonitions? First, the peace of Christ is to rule us, verse 15. 
Second, the word of Christ is to dwell in us, verse 16. Third, we're to do everything in the name of Christ, verse 17. All these are aspects of a Christ-centered life. As we're united with Christ and grow in Christ-likeness, we are increasingly ruled by the peace of Christ. And the message of Christ increasingly dwells in us. This impacts our life, lived out in community with other believers as we spur one another on through teaching and admonishing and singing. In fact, all of our life is for Christ. And so our response in all of these should be thankfulness. So this week we're going to focus on the first two. We're going to focus on the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. And next time we'll look at verse 17 and then also thankfulness in a little more detail. So the peace of Christ ruling our hearts, the word of Christ dwelling in us through teaching and admonishing and through singing. So let's start with the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. Let's look at verse 15 again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. We discussed this verse last time, and here's a quick review. The peace of Christ is the peace that God has established among his people, but it's foremost the peace of Christ. It's from him. It's something that comes from Christ and characterize people who belong to him as they live together. And second, it is to rule our hearts. Right? We're talking about a new heart affection. If Christ rules our hearts, then peace will rule our hearts. This is not a cessation of hostilities. It's more the fullness of Christ increasingly ruling our hearts and lives. It changes and shapes who we are as people. So, you know, peace in the Old Testament, shalom, you may have heard that word uh, expressed before, and it encompasses this holistic view of all of life. In the context of Colossians 3, peace here is similar. Go back to verse 14, and it talks about love drawing us towards completion in Christ, and then followed up with the peace of Christ ruling us. Right? There's this connotation of working towards completion. Christ is working to build us up in a Christ-like character in a spirit that affects who we are as his people. And so we are growing in wholeness as we are increasingly ruled by the peace of Christ in our lives. Right? Does the peace of Christ rule your heart as you approach your brothers and sisters in Christ? Does the peace of Christ rule your heart as you live with your family? And does the peace of Christ rule your heart as you deal with the stresses of life, right? When those stresses come down upon you, what's your heart response to those stresses, right? Carrying the ideas from the first half of Colossians, there's this additional theme of unity in Christ. And last time I focused the discussion on unity as expressed in interpersonal relationships within the church. But there are other broader forms of disunity, and so we want to address a few of those this morning. There are times when people hold to a different gospel. Right? That was the issue in Colossians chapter 2. Right? We've seen it in our own country at times where portions of the church have turned to another gospel at one time or another. It may start as just assenting to something that maybe somebody is not paying enough attention to. We're missing something. 
we've been overlooking something in the way we think and relate, but then it can morph into clinging to something other than Christ, such that it undermines the very message of Christ itself. The very message that forms and builds the church. Right? There's a reason that we contend for orthodoxy and truth in the midst of those who would redefine the truth according to non-Christian worldviews. Why are statements of faith updated from time to time? Why can't we just rely upon the statements of faith from the third century Right? Because people find new ways to nuance heresy and heterodoxy into their definitions over time. And they, setting boundaries in order to maintain the peace and unity of Christ's church is a good thing. And that's what Paul is doing in Colossians chapters 1 and 2. He's calling out a false teaching and he's setting a boundary there. And now having established those boundaries, he's calling them to a renewed unity centered around the gospel. And then in verse 16, it's centered around the message of Christ. So Paul is establishing in this section a Christ-centered focus for the church. Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ... Verse 3, if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a balance here. We're called to protect the life and doctrine of the church, to call out heresy. But we're not called to divide over increasingly minor issues either. Right? Of first importance are the issues around the gospel. Which is what Paul is addressing here in Colossians. Where the issue concerned the nature of Christ's himself. You may be familiar with the concept of the fighting fundamentalist from the 20th century. And there were groups and individuals who they didn't know when to stop fighting. And their boundaries of fellowship got smaller and smaller. And the issues, the list of issues that they were willing to divide over got longer and longer. But there's other kinds of disunity in the church, right, that results in split churches. I'm sure you've heard all kinds of stories. Right? Too often churches split over secondary or tertiary issues. And some of these come out of those personal disputes we talked about last time. I was aware of a church where a deacon wanted to become the new pastor, and he was not selected. And so he took some families with him, and they went and started their own church. I'm sure you've all heard stories of people living, or sorry, leaving in groups over issues other than the gospel, and love was not their bond of unity. Don't divorce these verses from chapter 3 from the rest of Colossians. We protect the gospel. We guard our fellowship from false teaching. That's Colossians 1 and 2. And we work to seek peace wherever we can. Both guarding the borders and also encouraging peace within the body as necessary to guard our fellowship from strife. Richard Melick, a professor at Gateway Seminary, in commenting on this passage, said, before every activity, the church should answer two questions. Is the peace of Christ present in the congregation at this point? 
is this consistent with and will it promote the knowledge of the word of Christ? There he's connecting verses 15 and 16 to one another. And I would propose to you that the word of Christ dwelling deeply in us should go hand in hand with the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. We're familiar with tribalism in the church. Paul is addressing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Too often in America, we have the luxury of breaking into tribes. There's churches everywhere. We can curate our own experience. We have the luxury to ask if this is specifically the exact kind of church I want to be a part of. Do I want a different experience? There are places where there are far fewer churches. And people who live in those places get along with one another, and they worship together joyfully among those who hold fast to the gospel. They hold fast to the message of Christ together. They don't have the luxury and comfort of extreme tribalism, or else they would be worshiping alone. So do you question whether this is a problem? Psychologists have noted that humans are tribal. We have this natural tendency to turn to us versus them. And I'm sure you've seen it happen before, even in your own life, each side separating one from the other. And there's this pendulum swing effect where one side swings away from the other side. And they'll defend the tribe at all cost, even when presented with facts to the contrary. And this is accelerated even in our present day. Books have been published on this phenomenon. Ben has talked about the filter bubble, and there's others like it. And we've come to this place where we see a message multiple times, like advertising, and then we begin to believe it. And one characteristic of our postmodern age, and I've talked about this before, is autonomy. We, we want to be individuals. Right? That's, the idea is that each individual is autonomous. It doesn't owe anything to anyone. They can be their own person. And they can be unique. But that also means that they choose their own tribe. Right? They can choose what they want. It affects everything. Have it your way. Right? We've lost our sense of community and the discipline of deference and concern for others. Think back a few decades, if you can, if you're that old. Do you remember a time when there was more deference and concern for others and community that was expected in our lives. So in a place like Fort Worth, there can be many churches in close proximity, and you may find people who move around a lot from church to church. It's a fact of life here. And if you've done that, or if you have friends who've done that, encourage them to stay somewhere, to settle and to build something. Encourage them to defer and build. Encourage them to rally around the gospel 
and a common faith in Christ and encourage them to let the peace of Christ rule their hearts rather than preferences. So if you move on to five churches in five years, then I would challenge you to ask yourself whether the problem is with those churches or whether you're carrying the problem with you as you go. And we could go on about this, but I need to be brief. There are other kinds of tribes, and we've talked about this in previous weeks, about, for instance, political ideologies, and people will focus on, on one side, God and country, on the other side, social concern. Don't subjugate your discipleship to ideologies. Seek a uniquely Christian consensus in how you approach life. Right. This is why it's important to note that there is a well-reasoned defense for what Christians believe. We belong to a new people. We're adopted into the family of God. It's a new identity. But it's not blind. It's based in a well-reasoned faith. And there are resources out there for any of you who may be struggling with questions. But the point here is simple. What do you feed your mind and heart? Right. Garbage in will produce garbage out. Do you feed your mind a steady diet of the message of Christ? Does the word of Christ dwell within you? All of these examples were given as a contrast to the peace of Christ. Ruling our hearts. But a sure way towards change is the word of Christ dwelling in you. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, the word here is the message about Christ. I don't think it's a big leap to extend this to all of Scripture, though. Uh, The point is that the message of Christ dwelling in us is a source of life for the church. As we teach and as we learn, as we admonish and practice, as we reflect in devotion and praise... And so the gospel message itself has implications for our lives. The message of Christ shapes who we are. The church, as a people, should be built upon the word of God. In liberal circles, it's been said that the church chose, created, or selected the Bible. So that it's the product of men. And I'm, I'm not sure where this response originally came from. I've seen it in different places But it makes an important point. The church did not create the Word of God. But the Word of God builds the church. You may have seen it at the close of that last song. Right? Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. So the Word of Christ was given by the work of the Spirit as a means for the building up of the church. And God continues to build his church by the spirit and uses God's word to do so. And notice that dwell is the main verb. The rest are participles. Teaching, admonishing, and singing are all done in reference to the message of Christ. Dwelling within us. This makes sense with teaching and admonishing. But just reading from beginning to end, the way we read in English, right? It's important to point out that singing has an equal place here. In the sentence structure, 
Right? Teaching and admonishing reference dwell. Singing references dwell. The result of the word dwelling in us is the teaching of the church, the admonishing and exhortation to follow Christ, and the devotion and worship of God's people. And some think that this may be addressing aspects of worship. Okay? Teaching, admonishing, and singing. Those elements certainly are present in worship, corporate worship. So there is an application there. But we teach, admonish, and we sing in other contexts. So really there's an application to our whole lives here. In fact, in verse 17, it says word and deed seems to be broadening this to these principles to all of life. We teach and we admonish and we sing. Right? The written word of God gives us a doctrinal standard of truth right? that informs our understanding, our teaching, how we exhort one another in our lives. And the same word also informs our worship and song and our devotional heart response to the word dwelling within us. And that written word points us to Christ, the Savior. So for the Christian community, we exist to carry the gospel message and to deeply embed that into our lives and fellowship together. Teaching and admonishing. Because of the importance of the message of Christ, teaching and admonishing are important to the church. The Spirit works in our hearts, and yet the function of teaching and admonishing still belongs to the church. The message of Christ should dwell deeply in us. Right? We're called to live this way among one another. And it should govern the way we interact with one another. In Colossians 1, we've seen this before, 128. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul introduced some of these concepts earlier. And you might say that teaching is an orderly arrangement of truth to help people understand the message. That's true. It's the message of Christ that's to dwell in us, and teaching communicates the truth of that message. And it's set in the context of the life of the local church. Right? The message is proclaimed among his people. There are those with the gift of teaching, which is a gift to the body. It's done uh, to set the message before the people in such a way that they might understand it, that they may receive the message and apply it to their lives. But teaching does belong among the church. It characterizes how we interact. But admonishing. Don't just conflate these two, right? You're reading your Bible in the morning, doing your quiet time. You read over teaching and admonishing. And there's a difference here, right? Historically, preaching has included this aspect of admonishing. Right. Both teaching and admonishing means that it requires that we care for one another. It, it requires a certain amount of humility and teachable hearts together that we may receive the word, that we may receive the message well. So admonishing is an exhortation to follow through with what we know. Historically, preaching has included these aspects, right? It's taken different forms at different times. 
It's often included in the sermon itself, but there's also times where an exhortation may be included after the sermon, or there may be a prayer at the end. But the point is that it's applied. The congregation is exhorted to take it home and apply it to their lives, to put it to practice. So we should be admonishing one another to grow in Christ-likeness. This is how we should be walking together as a body, urging one another on towards sanctification in such a way that we would be moving towards completion in Christ. Going back to verse 14. right? See again that love there in verse 14 or the peace in verse 15. The community of the local church has been given to us for our good. So our teaching is to be in accordance with wisdom. So what does that mean? In all wisdom means that we apply the message of Christ rightly and with skill. It's not something that we throw around carelessly. We don't jump into one-dimensional interpretations that are based more on our own perception than the context of the passage. We seek to understand the passage first so that we can interpret it correctly and then rightly apply it. We take time to understand the whole of Scripture. As Scripture interprets Scripture, and as we see the, the plan of redemption unfold, we can rightly interpret in all wisdom. And so teaching and admonishing is done in accordance with wisdom. Christ is the source of wisdom. Going back to the opening of Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Chapter 2, verse 3, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So wisdom is to know the right thing in the eyes of God. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are all found in Christ. And we learn wisdom as the word of Christ dwells in us. So what then is the word? Is it a moral standard? Is it objective truth? Certainly those things are found in God's word. Right? Quite simply, it's the message of Christ. And by it, the spirit of God shapes and molds a renewed people. New birth, born again by the Spirit, but shaped and molded by the Word. And for the Word of God to dwell in us, we must teach, we must admonish one another so that we live in a community according to the Word. Not simply as a moral standard applied to the surface, but as the kind of people who follow God's Word from the heart. And you may recall that this is the whole point of the new covenant. A new people, born again, created by God. Being brought towards completion in Christ. And so as his people, a new covenant people, we live in accordance with his word from the heart. Not in accordance with our own desires. We long to be more fully governed by the word of God as we grow in Christ's likeness to become a people who obey from the heart. Romans 6, verse 17, talks about obeying from the heart. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
If you're not familiar with Romans 6, it's a passage that talks heavily about old versus new. Right? Putting to death the old, putting on the new. Very much like Colossians 3. And God has given a community where that happens. It's called the church. We have a setting where teaching, admonishing, and singing take place. And that should be true of our fellowship in general. And it should be true of our worship together. So let's look at singing. It talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, psalms is very likely the psalms of the Old Testament. Hymns may be formal compositions, and there's a few places in the New Testament where scholars have picked out certain passages that they think may be a a hymn, a Christ hymn, a formal composition. And spiritual songs, these may be gospel songs, more informal compositions. There's some, you know, speculation there as to the exact meaning. But Paul is talking inclusively about different kinds of songs that had meaning to the early church. Song is innate to our human experience. There's a sweetness to a song that resonates with the heart. And for the Christian, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs resonate with hearts that love the Lord. So the testimony of a Christian is what God has done in someone's life through the work of the Spirit. It's an account of where the message of Christ intersects a life. And that message and a heart warm to believe the gospel are examples of the message of Christ dwelling within us. My point is that the word dwelling is more than scripture memory. It's more than reading your Bible. Those things are very important. Right? We should feed ourselves the message of Christ. Right? We want a steady diet of God's word lest we starve spiritually. But what Paul is getting at here is that the word should dwell within us. Has it entered the center of who we are by the work of the Holy Spirit such that we are different than we were before? As the word dwells within us, our hearts are knit together with Christ and with one another. The part of, you know, the union with Christ, we've been talking about this, that we've seen throughout... Colossians 3, as the word dwells within us, those same hearts respond to the proclamation of the word. They respond to the singing of the word. As our hearts answer in ways that resonate with the message of Christ, that is worship. It's set in the context of community. We see how the Spirit of God is bearing fruit in others and bringing them alongside us to worship Christ together. We sing our faith in accordance with the Word of Christ. It's a means to carry the message. So there's a parallel passage in Ephesians that we should point out, look at briefly, in Ephesians 5. It talks about the unity of the body of Christ in Ephesians. So there is an element there being built by the Spirit. And you'll see the Spirit referenced throughout the book. Colossians is talking about the supremacy of Christ over all things. So it's more focused on the person of Christ. So there's a contrast there. There's a lot of overlap between Ephesians and Colossians. But there's some different emphases. Spirit versus person of Christ. So Ephesians 5 verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine... 
for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Ephesians emphasizes the spirit in worship while Colossians emphasizes the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be filled with the spirit. Both are true. Ephesians explicitly mentions singing from the heart and submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. And both are present in the context of Colossians. So here are some takeaways. Music conveys the message of Christ. So that's one. The second is that Christ's people respond from the heart. And the third is we are to be thankful. When we sing, does the song convey the message of Christ? Music connects with the heart, and hearts ruled by the peace of Christ will sing. Emotion is okay. In fact, it's good. Heart has connected with head. And song can, in fact, both teach and admonish us. And so singing is, this, is a mode of worship, and we participate in worship of God together as we sing. And second, when we sing, is the song arranged such that the congregation can readily participate? God's people should respond together as they participate in worship. It's a response of hearts that have been changed and are tuned to the gospel. And the third, when we sing, are we thankful? We should be thankful for the work that God has done in our own hearts and for the fellowship that we have together in Christ. In this unique season, we should uh, pay special attention to those who are not present on Sunday mornings. We should reach out to folks who may not be in the service, may be worshiping at home. We worship together as a community, and we should work to prevent isolation, maintain that community together. So that takes y'all. Okay, so brief note on thankfulness. We're to be thankful for the gift that God has given us of the message of Christ. Thankfulness here can apply to both aspects, teaching and admonishing on the one hand and singing on the other. And our response to the word dwelling richly in Christ's body is thankfulness. It's repeated three times here. As God draws people to himself and they are changed by the Spirit and they live increasingly under the rule of Christ, we're thankful for what he has done. Next time we'll discuss how in all things, whether word or deed, we're to live for him and This verse does seem to generalize and extend these admonitions from verses 15 and 16. We'll also discuss thankfulness. But for now, let's recognize that the praise of God in song is a celebration of what he has done. And so we respond with thankfulness. We look at his mighty acts in history and we are thankful. We see what he has done among us and are thankful. We celebrate together 
as an expression of our thankfulness. Even in the celebration of communion, the word in the New Testament is where we get the word Eucharist, at least for verses 15 and 17. Right? And those translated thankful. It's a giving of thanks. So our worship, both gathered and scattered, is a celebration of God's rule in our lives. As expressed in the peace of Christ ruling our hearts and the, the word of Christ dwelling deeply in us. So do you ever come into the congregation and go through the motions? Does it ever become routine for you? The forms that we practice, are they reflect truth, but we should respond from the heart. Don't ever let the songs become familiar to the point that you don't hear what they're saying. Don't let your praise of God just become a familiar habit. When we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, let's give thanks. When we praise God, may we have joy at the hearing of the message of Christ expressed in words. And when we sit under the teaching and admonishing of the church, when we sing together, may we rejoice at what God has done. So if the peace of Christ does not rule your heart, if the message of Christ does not dwell in you richly, such that it has changed you and shaped who you are. My prayer for you is that you would rejoice to hear the message of Christ this morning. That God is creating a new people through the work of the Spirit, using His Word. But this comes through Jesus Christ who died for us. So I'd I'd invite you to trust Christ today. The peace of Christ will only rule your hearts if you know him and trust him. The word of Christ will govern your lives only if you have hearts that have been changed by the work of the Spirit. If you don't know Christ in this way, then I'd encourage you to talk to somebody after the service or talk to one of the elders. Paul is calling us in this passage towards a Christ-centered life. And that comes from turning our lives over to Christ and trusting him for our salvation. Letting the peace of Christ rule our hearts. It's an expression of the fullness of of Christ in our lives. And letting the word of Christ dwell within us. God is drawing us towards completion in Christ-likeness. And that's the admonition that Paul is giving us in Colossians 3. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. May it resonate with our hearts. Pray that you would plant it deep in us. That it would mold and shape who we are as your people by the work of your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church, a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.